Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. We have to make sure that it gets there with integrity. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. We are very much focused on others just as an industry. This is the Market Scale Pro AV Show, hosted by Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Your weekly B2B kickback for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration. Sound check complete. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Market Scale Pro AV Podcast Show. Per usual, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. It's great to be in the studio, great to be chatting with y'all and bringing you some fresh Pro AV content on this beautiful Thursday. We're approaching the end of the week, but we're not approaching the end of our content. We're just getting started, so let's dig in. We're already so many episodes deep on the Pro AV show. We've had people chatting about evolutions in technology, about changes in the industry, but really I've loved digging in and learning from the people who make it happen every day. And today's episode is really focused on that integrator, on those people living the industry, breathing the industry every day. And the title of today's episode is Adapting on the Front Lines, because the people we hear from tell it like it is, and they take a look at what it's like readjusting as a professional in the industry to new technology. We hear from Jesse Miller, Midtown Video's CTO, on what it's like for professionals to integrate IT knowledge into their workflow. We hear from George A. Ruth, the founder of MVT Productions in Orange County, California. He gives us a first-hand take on how AV and media installers adapt to changing technology and training requirements. But first, we're going to hear from someone who's worked in the industry for 30-plus years. His name is Mitch Rosenberg, Director of Sales for Fixed Install at Absin North America. It's such a tight-knit community, so it's always good to hear what everyone's up to. And he's been working on an exciting project as of late. Let's call him up. It's always great to hear from the people that keep this industry pumping and alive. So, Mitch, great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, Daniel. How about yourself today? I'm I'm great. It's a it's a great morning. Lot to work on, but it's always good to start the morning off with some pro AV content. So, yeah, let's just jump right in. Um, you've been in the industry for how many years now? Three and a half decades. Three and a half decades. Love it. So you've seen your fair share of projects. You've done. Probably everything from commercial work to educational work to... Even residential <laughs> when it's necessary. Residential, yeah, everything in between. So tell me a bit about what you're working on right now and uh, what makes the project so interesting. What's keeping you motivated and excited about it? I've been doing this for 35 years, and I actually am one of the people who gets up every morning and can't wait to do something new. Yeah. In our little industry, we're only about thirty to 40,000 humans, and we all know each other. My favorite thing is the journal Jerry Seinfeld references. We always root for laundry. We're not rooting for teams because in our industry, many of us change. We just change our shirts, but we're still the same team. Right now, currently, Absence released a line of products of LED that truly, I believe, are some of the best that I've ever seen. The nice thing about LED is it allows me to get into projects we couldn't even imagine. We couldn't even grasp these things 10 years ago. Projection was the king. LED has taken over. The pricing has dropped exponentially. 
and the quality has just skyrocketed, as you've seen on Broadway or you've seen on Las Vegas or you've seen on the news. When your talent is standing there in front of it, the wall behind them is no longer green screens. They're currently using LEDs. Take a look at Good Morning America to Jimmy Fallon. So one of my favorite projects that just got me recently excited is one of the largest theme parks in the world. We're currently working on multiple different rides and scenarios within the theme park. This theme park brought us engineering drawings and said, can we? The nice thing about LED is the answer is 99.9% .9 of the time, yes. Right. What makes that fun is custom design work, not this standard 9x16, this boring 4x3, but giant trapezoids or some type of a box or a cube, something that's flying, something that's moving, something that could be in motion, but it's still generating 1,200, 2,000, 3,000 nit and lumen output. And the people don't realize that it's not a window or they don't realize they're not looking out into a safari or they're not looking out into space. It's an LED. The pitch has gotten so tight. The images have gotten so real. Resolution has gotten so good and pricing has dropped so far that we're now able to work with these types of projects. And in the theme park environment, the old adage was, hey, if projection can't do it, we can't do it. Well, now with LED, we can do it. Whatever it is, we can get very creative designing rides, designing themes, designing structures. It's a lot of fun again. The fun is back. Well, I mean, it sounds fun. I'd like to be working on something that's trapezoidal. <laughs> I mean, just the just the essence of having to put together a Pro-AV LED deliverable that breaks the norms and the fact that that is almost becoming the norm it must keep you invigorated and always trying to find ways to innovate with your designs. It's fun. One of my favorite references, a long time ago, a movie came out called Blade Runner. Not the new one, the original one with Harrison Ford. Love that movie. And I used to sit there and watch it, and I go, oh, my stars. Imagine this much display. Imagine the overcrowding, the overuse. Well, guess what, guys? We can do almost everything that they've done in that original Blade Runner now. It's no longer fiction. You don't have to sit there and think it's a Robert Heinlein science fiction novel. If you can think it, we can almost build it. And it's impressive. It's a lot of fun. 3D came and went. Projection came and went. LED is here to stay. And Daniel, there are new technologies coming with LED next year that will fascinate you. Uh, micro LED is on its way. Imagine a pitch of an LED as fine as that of your computer screen. That's extremely wow. tiny. And it's going to yeah. be magnificent for close-up, for touchscreen now, for abilities we've never even thought of with projection or previous uses of LED, or in our old case, Daniel, you're not old enough to remember these. They were called CRTs. They're tubes. They're what televisions used to be back in the geriatric, or I should say Jurassic <laughs> period. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> the geriatric period. <laughs> Is it, You think that's going to be referenced in history books down the line? Oh, heck. I teach courses all the time in which I describe the history of the television from mechanical TV to Leo T, excuse me, Philo T. Farnsworth, with the first tubes that came out all the way up to the CRT, which dominated from the late 1930s, clear until, well, recently, when flat panels came out. Realize flat panels have only been around 20 years. Yeah. And they were $10,000 for a 42-inch, somewhat greenish piece of junk. 
I just recently picked up a 55 inch, a 55 inch, yeah. $249. So imagine LED. When I first got an LED, which would have been uh, late 1999, early 2000, a 14 millimeter LED, 14 millimeters, take two fingers, put them apart, 14 millimeters. That's it, pixel to pixel. It was $80,000 a square foot. Now we can pick up 0.7 for about the same price. Hmm. And very soon, when micro LED becomes available, which will occur in 2019, and then, of course, hit the market and <laughs> flood the market by 2020, we'll be seeing 0.1 to 0.7 as the norm, not the rarity. And now we're going to see this product plummet even more. So architects and consultants could get even more creative than they've ever done before. And the fact that micro LED is an extremely durable product, where right now LEDs are what I refer to as somewhat fragile. You rub your fingers across them, or in my case, many universities have a tendency to throw things at the wall, footballs, bottles of beer, etc. Obviously, that voids the warranty, whether they want me to say that or not. Mm-hmm. Micro LED is an extremely durable product, and it's tough. Yeah. It's going to be able to handle a lot of these issues. So put your thinking cap on. You know, go to Colorado, go buy yourself some legal weed and start getting creative. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's great to see that technology is innovating in ways that is keeping the people that are on the front lines of the industry that are innovating and trying to come up with great and original designs. Well, it's really empowering you to do that now that things are a little more accessible, a little more durable. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just great to see. So thanks so much for coming on, Mitch, and looking forward to hearing from you again in the future. I want to know how this project comes together. Call any time, and as soon as I get a press release or they'll allow me to do it, I'll get you the images. Love it. All right, thanks again, Mitch. No problem. Take care of yourself. So again, that was Mitch Rosenberg. He is the director of fixed installs at Absin America. And in a pretty surprising twist of fate, I actually went to high school with his daughter and uh, consistently catch up with another one of his daughters at a local cat birthday party. What? What's a cat birthday party? I've just got a great friend that every year she throws a birthday party for her cat. Cat's name is Manhattan, and uh, he's a sleek black cat, so it's always a black tie event. And I catch up with the Rosenbergs about once a year, had no idea that I was interviewing <laughs> their father, Mitch Rosenberg, um, but I just I just love how small of a world the pro-AV industry can be, uh, and specifically the North Texas region. All right, so our first feature is throwing it back to early September to a conversation with Jesse Miller. He's the CTO for Midtown Video. Miller gave us a look at a very tangible reality in pro-AV. Customers and clients are expecting quality live streaming and video conferencing capabilities at big live events. But like most industry vets could tell you, no amount of prep can save you from last-minute technical difficulties with live gear. We've experienced it ourselves here at MarketScale. That live gear is tricky, and as much as you can prepare, it just doesn't want to work for you. This means now more than ever, Pro-AV professionals need to be capable of solving IT fumbles. MarketScale podcast host Landon Jones gets the insight from Jesse Miller, so let's dig in. With live streaming, what was it originally used for? 
or most commonly used for? And have you seen any sort of changes um, with the way that it's being used? So that's a that's a great question. Uh, when we first got into live streaming, the best way to get it done or what everyone's original idea was is they would stream to like a private CDN and embed a, a player on their website. So for instance, you go to midtownvideo.com slash live and you'd watch our live stream. I feel like lately YouTube and Facebook have become such popular outlets that it's no longer about how do we stream live to our website, but it's how do we stream live to Instagram, to Facebook, where our viewers, where our social media participants are already watching, right? Versus how do we enhance the website that we're offering with live video? Now it's about how do I bring my live video to the uh, public forum, as it were, that people are already at. So we've been watching with some bated breath, right? As Facebook finally allowed 1080 live streaming on their platform for, for the longest time, it was only 720. And every time I'd run a live Facebook, I would say, sorry, you'll have to accept our apology, guys. We're streaming live on Facebook, who only allows 720. But now YouTube is offering 4K streaming. And, you know, there's there's really cool advances to that, which makes it very difficult for smaller organizations, you know, broadcasting live on the internet sort of democratized video delivery. You don't have to rent time on a satellite. You don't have to buy time on cable television or to be a hit show. Everybody can stream live on the internet. Something cool about the internet is it's duplex. It's full duplex communication. So for instance, on this television show we delivered to Facebook with tattoo artists, we were responding in real time to Facebook polls where we said things like, hey, here's four tattoos, audience. Why don't you vote on which tattoo the recipient should get? And in real time, we're tabulating these online poll results and the contestant, the losing contestant walked out of there with the tattoo as voted on by the Facebook public. Um, additionally, we're having guests that are no longer appearing just in the studio or live via satellite, but we'll bring in a Skype guest. In fact, NewTek has a whole line of pretty expensive equipment designed to integrate Skype into the television production facility so that, um, you know, there's a lot of complex stuff there. Return audio channels, you know, are you feeding the far side Skype viewer your laptop camera anymore? No, you're going to feed them the program camera that's aimed at your host so that if, you know, everybody's getting this immersive experience, including the far side Skype call-in guest. I'm talking about real interactive media consumption where the viewer is also the participant. More than just chat rooms, more than just online polls, but actually participating in the creation of the media that gets delivered, you know, whether it's on Facebook or, or YouTube or where have you. Is it possible to use multiple cameras when you're live streaming using Instagram or Facebook? Okay, great question. Yes. Midtown Video happens to be the experts at introducing multicam production to live streaming to Facebook. Instagram's a different thing at the moment. Instagram, I haven't found yet a sort of an encoder outside of a cell phone that allows you to produce live video going to Instagram. Facebook, on the other hand, just like YouTube and other CDNs, has given producers the opportunity to sort of stream from any device that can encode video. So we have produced and built television production facilities for clients whose exclusive goal is to stream live on Facebook. In fact, we've done television shows on Facebook's video uh, delivery platform, Facebook Watch, 
which had no other audience but being live on Facebook. And I mean, these guys were flying in a standards and practices representative. They rented a profanity delay system. And, you know, every Friday for eight weeks, they were spending a lot of money on big TV television show budget style production for these live Facebook streams. It's, it's impressive how far this has come. One other new trend is the delivery of video over the IP networks and not just in a point-to-point -point way over a single ethernet cable anymore. Now we've got routable video, right? We've got several encoders that sit on the network, several decoders attached to displays that sit on the network, and each device is a multicast device. Rather than point-to-point, -point, it's a true broadcast, and we're using the network switches to route you know, each source or, or sources to their end displays. So that's something new. Um, not that new, right? And if you're a big network buff, it's not new at all. But we're moving from unicast to multicast in the AV industry that's already resident on the IT networks. Two really good examples of this. Our buddies at Crestron have launched their NVX line. Now, they're certainly not first to market, right? We had Just Add Power was doing it. I, I know Christie's got that Phoenix line. I know Everts has a solution. But when Crestron steps in, you know, organizations like Midtown Video's ears perk up, and we've certainly adopted the NVX multicast approach to AV over IT. And when NewTek started talking about NDI, so this is a new protocol that allows you to use any computer as a source, any mon you know, any computer as a monitor also, and it bundles kind of like HD Base T promised. It bundles audio, video power and control on a single cable. I can put a couple of Nutex or even Panasonic's or PTZ Optics's NDI enabled robotic cameras onto the same switch as my TriCaster. Just run one cable to each one of those cameras. I don't even have to hire an electrical contract contractor to put in an AC outlet anymore where those cameras are located. My TriCaster, my network switch, my NDI enabled devices, and I'm streaming in a multi-camera high definition solution. And so, our, our manufacturers are really pushing this. They're helping our integrators along. They're offering us training. They're introducing us to these multicast protocols, and they're helping us step away from that single point-to-point -point unicast mindset into this new, you know, uh, network-switched AV over IP multicast paradigm. That is a big change in the AV industry. It takes a little getting used to, but we're, we're really starting to, to surf that wave. What are some of the biggest challenges that your business faces? One of the biggest challenges is attracting and retaining top talent. I'm sure a lot of my colleagues in the AV industry know what I'm talking about. Um, it turns out our business, although there are standards, right? Although there are certain things that everybody's kind of got to know in a, in a base knowledge, just like Midtown Video is a very boutique integration firm, this industry is so creative that you're you're sort of reinventing the wheel with every new project. So the the key really is training people well and maintaining a, a, a company culture that keeps them engaged and wanting to stick around because you can't just go recruit somebody that knows how to do all your custom projects. You, you can only do your N plus one best project with your team that you did the first N projects with. I just find it much easier to train than to hire for the 
skill sets that we need. And, and, and that takes a long time and a big investment. And it also challenges the management, right, to, to be worthy of maintaining the top talent. You're right. We've known it for a while, but it's, it's hard to catch up with that. Usually people are experts in, in one or the other. We always had to flirt with IT. So as an AV integrator to build somebody's conference room, we always had to know the internet is where you have video conferences, right? And as a control processor integrator, if you've got a touch panel on the wall and you expect it to control your projector and your screen and your volume on your digital signal processor, there's going to be a network switch somewhere. But now that video is being switched as multicast, now you definitely have, you know, we're, we're waist deep in it now. There's no, there's no denying it anymore. You can't just hold your nose and ask your best friend to, to assign you some IP addresses. Now you've really got to know what you're talking about. And, you know, you might have to create a VLAN on your client's network or something like this. So while, while it was there already, the emergence of the multicast paradigm has really deepened the need for IT uh, uh, fluency in the AV industry. And th there's a new precipice we're about to, fall off the side of, of now because we've all been in this mode of selling projects, you know, like here's a rack, let me sell you this rack, buy it with capital expenditure. And sure, we'll come out and service it on your operational expenditure. But, but just like IT industry went, quote unquote, as a service, the AV industry, really, that's its next step. It's to be delivered as a service where the client doesn't have to just buy a rack anymore, right? They can put this all into their yearly expense budget and say, hey, I need an, I need a refresh in my conference room. So, so it's, a, it's upon us now to you know, figure out how they can easily finance it. Instead of having to pay 100000 now, let them, let them pay it off over time like, like a lease in order to uh, amortize right, the expense. And at the same time, keep the AV integrator engaged so that we're going out there every month or we're remotely addressing them every month, you know, to, to get even more efficient with our time and, and training them every month, you know. <laughs> so to deliver AV as a service, we need to be telling clients like, look, we checked the data on your conference rooms and it looks like most of your meetings are really six people are attending and not 20 people. So maybe the next three conference rooms you build, instead of three 20-person conference rooms, why don't you build 10 six-person conference rooms since we've crunched the data for you and, and we can really optimize your next spend. And then again, we have to turn around and make it not a capital expense, but an amortized operational expense that their budgets can handle and digest more easily maybe a couple of years down the road, the new approach will be how well ingrained, you know, that's a measure of the longevity of your relationship with your customer is not how many conference rooms you build for them, but how many years you've had all their conference room business. So, so making that sort of development is, that's what's on the, that's what's on the experimental bench here at Midtown is trying to figure out how to really give our clients the most out of their relationship with us versus trying to sell them project after project in an incremental way. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. It's really been a pleasure. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com backslash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Landon Jones. Until next time.
Before jumping into our second feature for the show, there's a great news story on MarketScale Pro AV analyzing how cities will utilize Pro AV applications as they become smart cities. It's written by Beth Osborne. She did a fantastic job and really looks at the intersection of emerging technology. IoT is great, but it doesn't work alone. Digital signage especially with the upcoming accessibility of commercial-scale micro-LED, is going to play a big part in IoT's city growth. We're joined by Jeff Short again, Chief Digital Editor at MarketScale. This is actually his first time on the Pro-AV podcast. He joined us on the IoT podcast. You should definitely give that a listen. But he's giving us some more insight on this article and breaks down how these two worlds of IoT and Pro-AV collide. Jeff, I'd like to learn a little bit more about this piece. So how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's great to already be back in here. Uh, I'm excited for round two. And uh, how are you today? I'm great. I'm great. You know, our listeners may not know you were on our IoT podcast doing similar analysis, a little broader. We're actually digging into a very specific article this time instead of just the industry as a whole. Um, But yeah, you are going to be in here more often than not, I think. I'm going to start sourcing you for a bunch of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, anytime you need me, but... uh... Now that we have another studio opening up, there's plenty of opportunities, I guess. So uh, you got to have someone in here to fill in. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's take a look at this article. It was written by uh, MarketScale writer Beth Osborne. And like the title suggests, we're really looking at how Pro-AV plays a substantial role in the evolution of a smart city. Uh, so whether that's in digital signage, whether that's in uh, maybe safety lighting, uh, I'd like to know sort of what direction the article went in and why you know the the key points that Beth pointed out were the ones that felt most important to the industry. Right. So I think some of the big takeaways from this article are just the piece of technology that are going to streamline the flow of a city, uh, make lives easier for people. I think that's ultimately the whole point of smart cities, right? right? So um, one thing that she talked about um, that I found very interesting is something that's happening in Montreal, in Quebec, Canada. Um, where they're implementing digital signage, but also using IoT, which I think will be very, very intertwined as we start seeing more developments uh, and more moves towards smart cities. So what she spoke about, um, what is going on in Montreal right now, is uh, things like you know being at a bus stop and having a digital signage board that is getting updates through IoT that is connected back to the bus and into hmm. the station. Um, so it's obviously... Real-time updates instead of you know having a paper calendar that maybe has not been updated in years and years. Right. Saying, I need the ten seventeen, uh, but yeah, that sounds that, familiar <laughs> for my morning. Yeah, <laughs> right. So if you have that bus, um, you know where you can see those updates in real time, that's obviously a huge benefit. Um, and that same kind of thing goes for parking. So you're looking at things in parking garages where you can quickly see on a very clear digital signage board. Um, that there's parking on the next level or below or wherever. Maybe the lot's full. So these are very small things, and I think that um, we're going to get really accustomed to, which is good, um, and we'll kind of think maybe how did we really go through a parking garage up 13 stories you know, in years past, and now we'll know right. <laughs> when to turn around maybe. Um, and then another update that uh, she referenced is something that's going on in Chicago, but definitely going on um, – all over the United States and probably beyond, but uh, these smart kiosks that you're seeing in in cities and 
just to make lives easier for people. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like your tourist guide all in one location, very streamlined, easy uh, to use touch screens on the sidewalk so you can figure out the restaurant that you should be eating at or how to get there. So, you know, all, all different information. It's going to be easier for governments to, um, you know, get these, you know, data points out to travelers, tourists, all things like that. But obviously a great opportunity for businesses to, uh, you know, be seen in a uh, environment that's much more conducive to, you know, travelers. So right. it's, it's kind of a better way of advertising. Well, it sounds like most of these innovations are coming within transportation, whether that is public transit or that's, like you said, in parking or even just as a traveler, you know, on foot transit, getting from point A to point B, it sounds like digital signage is going to be pretty key for wayfinding in smart cities. And it really makes sense. You know, what is the least smart thing about a city when you really think about it? It's, I think, getting from point A to point B. If you don't know where you're at, you're either GPSing on your phone or you're trying to you know, guess how many streets away am I from my next turn. And if your phone dies, you're out of luck because no one's carrying a paper map anymore. So having this advance in technology and focusing it specifically on wayfinding in cities, I think really makes sense for the first big overhaul in most major cities. Yeah. I mean, think about just driving down the highway and where we are right now with uh, this technology. So I guess the the original smart city is when you know exit 13 is closed and you have that digital board that says you need to take exit 14 but it's you know been wheeled out by the construction company or whoever is working on the road so you know that's not telling you any valuable information it it probably you know you don't know if it's been updated or anything like that obviously they have to go all the way back out there to change the board so that's kind of the primitive version that I think we're going to look back on and kind of laugh at but now right. If every roadside is going to be digital and updated in real time, you know, first of all, that's a humongous opportunity for these AV companies to get in there. It's a huge new market for for digital signage in itself, uh, but also for drivers um, or anyone, like you said, in a city that needs directions, um, they're going to be able to get much more um, you know updated directions. Right. I mean, than- imagine as an integrator being contracted to provide digital signage on every major intersection on a highway and, you know, several key points throughout the city. I mean, that would be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars going right into the industry. Uh, It definitely is lucrative. And I think, um, you know, I think pro AV professionals should be if not excited, <laughs> at least encouraging Absolutely. this innovation. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see to what extent it goes. I mean, how how digital uh, these signs get as far as, you know, what percent are going to be digital signs and, you know, what cities can afford, I guess. Right. But, well, and but I mean, certainly the market will be there. Yeah, the definitely. Well, and I mean, we're also seeing changes in technology for the actual signage itself. I mean, micro LED is reaching a point where the pixel pitch is so tight and so crisp that, touch screens and really up close and personal digital signage now is going to feel almost like you're staring at a computer screen and that's going to be with micro led lights and so uh, people are excited about that that is going to encourage probably more kiosk innovation um so as people are wayfinding i mean you not only get the information but you get it in a gorgeous way and that's really 
what I think sets Pro AV apart from other industries is that not only do you get a practical solution, but all the technological innovation is pushing it towards a beautiful solution as well. Uh, so it's going to be exciting to see how cities more and more begin to look like that futuristic sci-fi world you imagine where everything has a digital sign that's interacting with you and telling you where to go, telling you what the hottest deal is at the restaurant, you know, telling you what the weather is, boom, boom, boom. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be neat. I think it's closer than a lot of people give it credit uh, for. So it's going to be exciting to see the developments that, first of all, like we already said, Montreal and Chicago are already happening um, and see where they take it. Maybe they're going to be sort of the guinea pigs for this uh, sort of technology. Yeah. But, um, it's definitely going to change the way we move around cities. Maybe uh, change your favorite restaurant because you uh, <laughs> maybe go to a kiosk and find something different or, uh, or whatever the case may be. So right. um, it is very exciting and it's definitely going to change. I mean, those are sort of the unintended consequences, I guess. So you have a digital kiosk and you're there, but you're finding a different restaurant. And so will restaurants maybe change their layouts, change their right. designs to maybe be more visually appealing because they know people are going to see – their restaurant on a digital kiosk for the first time. Maybe there's opportunities for live look cameras, things like that. So true. It's going to have these little tentacles that I think are going to spill into you know things like retail and hospitality as well. So um, it will be very exciting. Definitely. Well, it's neat to see, and I'm looking forward to what a smart city does look like down the road. And I mean, we're already seeing it happen, but you know, once you get a full integrated smart city, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. So thanks for coming on, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Check out that article and uh, I'll be back soon, hopefully. Our last feature picks up where Jesse Miller left off earlier. The industry improves technologically at speeds that are pretty hard to predict. And though this is great for clients, because they're always looking for the next best and freshest deliverable, it's not that simple for the integrators. Updated technology means new best practices and problems that pro-AV professionals now have to adapt to. How does AV training evolve to match the tech evolution in the industry? And in some cases, how can technology help integrators stay ahead of that curve? Market Scale podcast host Kaylee Gerlitz hears from George A. Ruth, the founder of MVT Productions in Orange County, California. He gave his personal insight on evolving training in the industry and how MVT aims to do it right. Welcome to the Pro AV Podcast, brought to you by Market Scale. I'm your host, Kaylee Gerlitz, and today's topic is all about Pro AV training. With new technology like drones, AR, VR, and holographic tech, pro-AV training has to change to stay ahead of the curve. Joining us today to talk about how advances in technology is changing pro-AV training is Georgia Ruth from MVT Productions in Orange County. Thanks for coming on today, George. My pleasure. Can you just tell me a little bit about pro-AV training at MVT Productions and what's involved with that? Let me tell you a little bit about our company first. It is a company that's been uh, in business for almost 35, 38 years, probably. We produce uh, TV shows, we produce commercials, um, uh, corporate events, and what have you. So we're involved in quite a bit uh, of uh, the AV and uh, VR uh, 
industry and we use it to our benefits almost on a daily basis in our business and uh, the training that we do is um, basically we have our guys hands-on uh, if there's any classes or there's any materials about our new equipment or uh, whatever that is uh, we have them read about it first and then uh, second we go hands-on and that's how we train our people basically and there's a lot more to it than that but bas the basic idea is that that way how has pro ev training had to change with these new advancements in technology so the industry is almost changing by the second and also the technology is making our life a lot easier to do business nowadays it, it evolves around when the client comes and asks us for something and then uh, we look around and see the newer technology and say, yeah, we could achieve this uh, using specific equipment uh, from uh, virtual reality systems uh, to drone to uh, newer technology. We do webcasting uh, almost on a weekly basis uh, with clients and then we webcast uh, around the world. So the technology in the VR it made it uh, made our job a lot easier to do it with. Uh, it's amazing nowadays. I've been in business for over 38 years, uh, but I'm almost amazed every day about the newer technology that it comes out uh, that makes life a lot easier uh, to do it nowadays. And with these new technologies being invented and coming out day to day, how do you train your workforce to be adaptable? It depends on the projects that we're doing and the need of the newer technology, which is, seems nowadays it's on a consistent basis, basically. Uh, we uh, read about it somewhere or we discover it or we see someone doing it and then we say, okay, we have to have this for our uh customers. So we put our forces, our technicians, our people to learn about it, whether via uh, the internet and then downloadable uh, information about the product that we were trying to use. And then that's how we go about it. And then we designate one person, okay, you learned the most about it. And then you bring it back and show it to everybody else. And then everybody else will have a collaboration um, uh, about how to use it and what's the best way to do it and what other um, gadgets on the market that's similar to this that will be better or uh, more beneficial to us. So it seems like your company is very reliant on teamwork and collaboration to stay up to date on new technologies. Is that right? Absolutely. Every day. Can you think of any examples of when these changes in technology have challenged your company in different projects? There's no challenges, basically. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Challenges almost on a daily basis. It's just how you go about it and then with the good attitude and then the knowledge that we uh, empower our employees and technicians with, uh, challenges be, disappears quickly. Um, one of the things that we are just adapted into our business recently is it's called the virtual system. Uh, we have uh, a green room, uh, basically, and then uh, you put someone in front 
uh, of the, the green room or green wall, I should say. And then there's a system uh, that we called an infinity system in conjunctions with 4A product. We could um, basically put a virtual uh, set behind the person. Uh, it could be like a newsroom. It could be Paris. It could be anywhere in the world. And then we could make it look like um, real when you zoom in with your camera or zoom out. The whole set prospectively move with you and looks like you're on locations wherever that be around the world or in a, a newsroom or something like that. And it's pretty fancy. So that made our life a lot easier lately. And then we used to have a lot of challenges uh, trying to accomplish this task. Nowadays, it's so much easier using the newer technology. When have these new technologies helped with training? Um, it helped us greatly because it's so much easier to use this gadgets once we you figure it out. And then uh, the training uh, becomes much simpler and easier for our employees to uh, adapt to that kind of stuff because of the newer technology, the ease of using the internet to find out a problem or how to use this specific task or something like that. So it's much easier to train people nowadays. How do you train your workforce to be adaptable with these new technologies? Well, uh, with the newer technology in the AV world, um, you still need some training. Uh, some of the newer gadgets in the AV industry, uh, it's all, um, uh, how do I say that? Uh, it's a software-driven um, technology, which is you need to be a little more familiar for younger people who are just coming out from college, it's much easier for them to adapt to that kind of training because they're used to um, play games and play. And it's basically similar to playing games as long as you could read about it and figure out what button to push on the computer. Training becomes so much easier uh, this way. And finally, where do you see MVT Productions in the future with training and these new technologies? Well, we are hoping to grow um, quite a bit faster using the newer technology. Uh, specifically, I mean, we've gotten uh, to put a purchase on some equipment and that equipment that's cameras. Uh, when we're using our cameras nowadays, uh, I could have a director sitting in New York and we're here in California and he could be watching exactly what I'm doing because of that camera has the technology to uh, beam the signal to that person and see exactly what we're doing. So uh, I'm hoping that we will grow quite a bit faster because of the newer technology that we're acquiring lately and it's going to make it a lot easier. Instead of working locally, we work uh, nationwide and then international as well uh, with that technology. Thank you, George, for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's Pro AV podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. Make sure to leave a rating and comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. 
I'm your host, Kaylee Gerlitz, and I hope you feel more knowledgeable about pro AV training. All right, everyone. Unfortunately, that does it for today's episode of the Market Scale Pro AV Podcast Show. Today's episode really hit home for me on how tight-knit the community is and how small changes, whether they're positive or negative, affect everyone. And now the whole industry has to adapt. And it just really made me want to hear from more of you. So if you think you have a great story idea, um, if you think that you have a project you've been working on that the industry just has to hear about, hit me up. Shoot me an email. Daniel.Litwin at MarketScale.com. Again, Daniel.Litwin, L-I-T-W-I-N at MarketScale.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to uh, get you on a panel, get you on a feature. Who knows? If you've got something to tell, we'll be able to tell, and we'll be able to source that for you. So again, thanks for listening, everyone. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.